When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following is a presentation of the Belly Up Sports Media Network. Here comes pressure, throws it to Eckler on the screen. He's got a block to the 10, to the 5, into the end zone. for a first down. Herbert with time. Now running out of time. Throws on the run. Down the sideline. Caught in the end zone. Keenan Allen for the touchdown. And again it's intercepted. And that's Asante Samuel. Here's another one. Watch out. How did it feel when Derwin James absolutely powerbombed the f*** out of it on national television? You're listening to the Shock Therapy Podcast with Tyler Lawrence and Zach Alfers. Welcome back to another episode of the Shock Therapy Podcast brought to you by uh, the, what's the name of her? <laughs> brought oh, to you up. by uh, Belly Up Sports. I'm joined with a, a member, uh, Eric Moeller. Eric, why don't you tell the, the, the people a little bit about your podcast and a little bit about your background? Uh, so my background, uh, I guess, to start with that is uh, I'm I retired from the Navy uh, a couple of years ago, and we uh, an old Navy friend of mine, Jason, um, started a podcast and asked me to to hop on. So just a couple of college football junkies, um, all college football all the time, and we just kind of really try to make it uh, more fun. We're not super technical; we don't take ourselves all that seriously, but. Uh, we are we are new to the network. We're so new to the network, in fact, that I don't think we're even officially like paperwork wise. We we finished everything, um, but yeah, uh, just if if I wasn't on here talking football with you, uh, it would be with someone else, uh, probably my wife. So she appreciates the save. Nice. What did you do in the Navy? I was a quartermaster. Got out in 2015, um, and been out for a little while now. What do you do? Uh, I I was on submarines. I was an MM. I was a machinist mate. So. Oh, nice. It's interesting. How was that sub life? You said uh, 20 years? Uh, well, I ended up um, a little over 24. So Ooh. it was senior it was chief, plenty. master chief. What are you? Uh, I retired as a senior chief. Yeah. All right. Cool. Nice to meet you, senior. And tell me a little bit about your uh, teams that you follow. You said you watch a lot of Florida football this year. Uh, well, this particular year, I mean, I, I live in Southeast Georgia, um, far, far Southeast corner of Georgia. You really can't go any further Southeast without going into Florida or the Atlantic Ocean. So I, I follow a lot of the teams kind of in my general area, Florida, Florida State, Georgia, you know, Georgia Tech, even uh, the Alabama and South Carolina schools. So just really as many college football games as I can get. You know, right before uh, um, my first deployment, I had the chance to to drive down to Gainesville, Florida for a Florida, Florida State game. And that Southern hospitality down there is real, man. We were walking down that main college kind of uh, main street and they were just handing out free burgers and barbecue and 
was awesome atmosphere to, to be there for that big rivalry game. Yeah, the hospitality, uh, hospitality is great until you get into the stadium in the wrong color shirt. Then it <laughs> then it kind of expires. But yeah, yeah, it was a it was a great opportunity for me to go down there and actually catch that. That was awesome. Uh, so today we're going to be talking a little bit about offensive line, uh, just talking about the Chargers and and where they're sitting. Uh, they've got their top uh, offensive line set for the next three years. They're all under contract. Um, unlikely that the Chargers go and sign somebody or draft somebody fairly highly, considering they have their starting five up front. And there's more pressing needs kind of across the roster. Um, but, you know, Kellen Moore is the new offensive coordinator. Uh, his time in Dallas, they've always put a big emphasis on, on keeping a strong offensive line in place, uh, drafting guys that are going to end up taking over the, the role in the future. Uh, the only player there that could potentially be replaced is going to be center Corey Lindsley. He's like 32 years old. So they could potentially draft his replacement early. I still think it's unlikely, uh, but we're going to talk a little bit about some uh, offensive tackles, and I have them kind of just grouped as interior offensive linemen. And I'm going to go ahead and let you get the first pick and choose who you want to talk about first, uh, some film I, uh, that you had a chance to go and watch and study, and, you know, who are some guys that you like out of this class? Um, one guy I like a lot, and I don't know how high he's going to get drafted because he's he's because of his size and relative lack of mobility because of that size, he's probably not a left tackle. He's he's probably ends up on the right side, and that's Dewan Jones from Ohio State, who is an absolute creature. Um, he's, he's huge. He's he's 6'8". He's three seventy ish. Um, but he's just he's just a bulldozer. Uh, he's he's not the greatest athlete, but he he does have surprising quickness, especially for a guy his size. Um, but he two year starter at right tackle. He probably stays there in the league. But I I like him a lot because I think he. You know what? What you see when you watch him is exactly probably what you're going to get, and there's not there's not a whole lot of, of secret to his game. That you know, uh, top end power. He's not particularly fast. He's a little slow and clunky, so he wouldn't be great. Um, you know, he doesn't get to the second level all that well, but in the run game, he's he's a force. Or even on screens, uh, getting out ahead of the of the ball carrier on screens is can be a challenge. He didn't. Uh, get asked to do that a whole lot at Ohio State because they were a little more vertical, uh, you know, passing the ball. But he's a guy I think who could, you know, you could draft him and plug him in. He's your right tackle for the next eight years if you he's want. He's got a lot of length to him. He's got 36-inch arms. And while, like, people say he's not the most athletic guy, you got to take into account athleticism at size, right? 6'8", 370 pounds, and can move at that weight, which is just huge. Uh, yeah, I'd like to he's not a uh, he's not a great athlete relative to some of these other guys we'll talk about, like a Darnell Wright or a Broderick Jones. But for a guy yeah. who who could moonlight in the WWE, he's extremely athletic. He, yeah, I'd like to even like kind of think about moving him into like right guard and let him really be that bulldozer. Uh, you know, typically the right side of the lines where you run to the left side of the line is your better pass protectors. But if you did move him to guard, and I don't think that's where he should go, but if you did, you've got a bulldozer right in the middle of your your offensive line there that's opening up huge rushing lanes um, i i think it's an option I don't, but i don't know that i would i think he's competent enough at tackle um on the right side because you're typically not going up the, against the other team's best edge rusher 
like you would be on right. the left. Well, I'm going to talk a little bit about Darnell Wright, uh, Tennessee tackle. I've got a first-round grade on this guy. Uh, he gained a lot of attention as a potential first-round pick in this upcoming draft. He was a five-star recruit, really, really highly, highly recruited. He's been on the NFL radar since he was in high school, continued to press when he arrived at Tennessee, started seven games as a true freshman. If you're starting as a true freshman on the offensive line at any SEC school, you've got a lot of potential. Um, he was a full-time starter at right tackle in 2020, moved over to the left side in 2021, started 13 games there. Uh, he earned first-team All-SEC honors for his play at right tackle this last season. He's got size, he's got length, he's got athleticism, and he's got power. He's just really, really attractive for those, uh, those measurables. And uh, he just continued to improve every single year. Uh, he improved his hand usage and footwork. Uh, he's got a lot of room to maximize his potential still but he's a really, really solid prospect. Somebody's going to go super early in this upcoming draft. Uh, size, length, and athleticism are what you would expect from a former five-star recruit. He's got a really impressive frame, stores a lot of power uh, in his legs, in his arms, and he frequently puts his length to use in game. Uh, he shows off uh, really high, impressive athleticism for his size, quickness out of his stance. He's got lateral explosion off the snap, can really overtake interior guys and wall them off. Um, at the combine, he ran a stiller five flat, basically 40 yard dash um, with a really strong split that just shows his explosiveness. Um, his power is probably one of his most impressive traits to me, stores a lot of devastating potential energy and knockback power, and he can shock a lot of larger defenders on contact. Um, while he has room to improve in, in his hand usage and footwork, I think it's really good at, at a starting point as a base of where he's at right now. Um, he can effectively use independent hands and he's active when gathering rushers. He's very violent and resetting his hands and he can actively combat uh, sequential pass rush moves. He's, he's just, he's a really solid prospect. Uh, I don't think there's a, a high likelihood that we're going to go and draft somebody that high at that position, but man, he's a fun player to watch. He, he is, he's so I, I guess how I watch football, I don't necessarily look at it in the in the vein of like I'm evaluating players, right? But, but some things just really do stand out when you watch if you're paying attention. And so one thing about him that I did notice is he was a lot better from last year to this season, uh, like noticeably better. And you know, if I was to try to evaluate a guy, which you know that's not my background or my strength, but if I was going to I would look at first, how did he do against the best competition he faced? And if you pull up the game uh, against Alabama, where he, about a third of the snaps, he was going head-to-head with Will Anderson Jr. He played very, very well. Uh, the Georgia game, same thing, you know, with all those guys, because they come in waves, right? They rotate. Right. And it's always a different face trying to get and they're always it. fresh because they're constantly moving those guys through. I don't think there's a team that, Georgia, like they just push out pass rushers left and right, and so much so that they're only playing fifty percent of the snaps in, in reality. Yeah, a lot. I mean, a lot of guys, you know, not to get too off the subject, but like Trevon Walker is a good example, right? He was first yeah. overall pick last year, and a lot of the criticism was, well, he doesn't have the production. This was like, well, he played like sixty percent of the snaps yeah, because exactly. they just got dude after dude after dude, and they're trying to get all these guys in the field to keep them fresh. Um, so, Darnell Wright, he, he had a pretty good. You know, they they lost by, I think, two touchdowns. But he himself had a pretty good game against all those guys. So you look at the Alabama game, you look at the Georgia game, 
he played well. And I think that's maybe a much better indicator of how ready he is to go to the league than, you know, playing Vanderbilt or, you know, Texas Tech or somebody. Yeah. Who else are you going to talk about? Uh, I think the next guy to look at is Anton Harrison from Oklahoma, who, if I had to guess, would be maybe late first round uh, in the, the 20s. So he's he's about you know kind of your typical tackle size. He's six four, three ten, three fifteen ish. Uh, he's all conference guy. the The thing that stands out when you watch him is he uh, quick feet, right? He's he's good pulling, and he's actually he's he's pretty good on like the reach blocks where he's got to get across in front of a guy and and direct him the other way. Right, he's got to he's got to cross yeah, the moving from face. that double team and get, gaining leverage and yeah. holding that spot. And even coming off a double team to get a guy coming around the edge, he's but the one thing, and it's not that he isn't good at it, it's just he hasn't shown a lot of it because that's not what Oklahoma does, is just you know, head to head run blocking, just straight ahead, you know, kind of mano a mano, if you will. Um yeah, that's uh the the that whole gap scheme, right? Right, yeah. So he looks like a powerful guy with long arms good punch and he can move people you just don't see it because that's not what they do so it's you know you don't want to say a guy can't do it i just i haven't seen it to know that he can my guess is yeah probably and if not i think he's got enough natural tools where an nfl coaching staff can teach a lot of that and get him up to speed if it is a deficiency but um you know we it is kind of tough to be sure power wise like handling edge rushers coming out of the big 12 where a lot of those edge guys are really just more about speed and getting around you than maybe trying to drive you back. Uh, he didn't right. see a lot of that like he will, but I think he he's big enough and he gets a good enough base. His footwork looks pretty good and I'm not, I don't claim to be some, you know, O-line guru, but he, he never looks like he's starts a block off balance and he's got a kind of a good foundation to, to keep a guy in front of him. Right. He's got a good solid base. He's also really, really athletic. I like to see him out in screens a lot more because mm -hmm. uh, he can really get out there in a hurry. I, I actually really like Anton Harrison quite a bit. Um, I think he, I have him kind of as a second round pick kind of after that first wave of tackles, which will probably bring me into to my favorite tackle in this class. My number one guy I'm going to talk about Paris Johnson jr. Uh, over at Ohio state had a really, really successful transition from guard, uh, the year before the offensive tackle came and became their left tackle uh, had the blind spot. He has positioned himself to be the first Buckeyes tackle taken. And they were really good uh, at Ohio state on both sides. Uh, he graduated from Princeton high school as a five-star standout. It was a top offensive tackle in the 2020 recruiting class. Uh, despite never playing the position, Johnson began his 2022 campaign as a really highly ranked player. Uh, he played over 800 snaps and gave up just two sacks. Uh, and they threw the ball a lot. He was asked to to drop um, and and kick step a lot for Ohio State with that high uh, high engine of a passing attack that they had over there. Uh, he's also a really interesting player. He's uh, he's an academic. He's a philanthropist. He speaks Chinese and Portuguese, <laughs> which is just kind of weird. Uh, he has tirelessly since high school. Uh, been raising funds to support veterans, disadvantaged children. Uh, since its inception, the Paris Johnson Jr. Foundation has raised over $10,000 to various fundraising efforts. You don't see guys with their own foundation in, in college. That just doesn't happen. 
and he's used his platform with these new NIL um, uh, things that they've been doing. He's been using it to, to help the community. So that's a real high character type of player. That's what pushes him ahead of everybody else to me. He's already got the talent, but if you're getting a guy who's going to be out in the community and doing a lot of things um, in Los Angeles, for instance, where there's a lot of underprivileged uh, people out there, like he's going to be out there, like raising money, getting schools, new weight rooms and stuff like that. Like that's the kind of guy that you want on your team uh, as a actual player. He's got a real, he's a real high level pass protector. Uh, kept CJ Stroud upright quite a bit. He's got a lot of football IQ you can see it just the way he identifies uh, tricks and stunts and all these other things that they're doing up front, twists, um, and he's able to, to see that. And you can see that on film. Uh, he needs to work on his consistency with, with hand placement with some timing when he punches. And while he has the athleticism fluidity of his movement to handle speed rushers with ease, power rushers can cause some issues for him. Uh, he demonstrated ability to anchor down in pass protection, and he needs to be more consistent with his hand placement at at the very most, uh, at the very least. Uh, despite these areas of improvement, his combination of size, length, athleticism, competitiveness, uh, he's just a, a really, really good player. Uh, he's probably going in the top 10 picks. Uh, I think this guy's going to be a future Walt Payton, Payton man of the year candidate just because of what he's doing today. So, Yeah, he's an impressive guy. Um, the I guess the one and I don't even want to say it's a knock. The one thing I noticed when I kind of looked back at some games, um, when we kind of identified the guys you wanted to talk about, you go back to the Georgia game on on those video clips, and there were, you know, for the most part, he played really well, but there were a couple of spots where he just got run through, like straight up driven back, um, and that's that's one of the, um, you know Georgia. It's speed to power that I think that I see the most. It's the guys that you're not expecting to do that power, yeah. but they've got enough speed and they've got that engine built up. And as soon as they 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 turn it from a speed rush into power, uh, it kind of surprises them, and he gets caught off balance. He, he it looked the one in particular. It looked like he kind of got caught off guard. Um, but you know that's the one thing I would I would worry about cleaning up with him in terms of going to the NFL because if you want to kind of a comparison of what he's going to face in the NFL. The guys that Georgia puts on their front seven are a pretty good starting point for, you know, sort of a measuring stick. Um, right. And there was just spots. Those guys are so fast. It's, it's tough to describe how humans that size can be as fast as those dudes are. But uh, yeah, he just got, you know, run right in the middle of his chest and driven back. And you really don't see that very often with him, but it did come up a couple times in that. Yeah, that, it's uh, weird. It's crazy it's to see edge game. rushers running in the four fours. Like that is insane yeah. to me to, to see that. They don't have, you don't have to be a big guy. If you've got uh, that, that speed to turn it into power, it's just insane to see some of these athletes. And I feel like they're all at Georgia. <laughs> a lot of them. Yeah. And uh, and those guys, we'll talk about one here in a minute. Those guys, a lot of time, it's really less about speed necessarily as explosiveness. Yeah. They want, you know, they want guys who go from zero to sixty like now. Yeah. And, and you know, for the most part, they get them. But there's also kind of a mentality piece that I will talk about with this next guy who will not be the first tackle drafted, and he probably won't be the best tackle out of this class in year one or two. But I think because of his physical tools maybe uh, you could argue has the highest ceiling in terms of what his career in, ends up being. And that's Broderick Jones, who uh, one year at a starter at Georgia, uh, don't care. Um, that guy's been, 
he's been practicing for you know four or five days a week for three years against guys like Trevon Walker and Nolan Smith and Jalen Carter. I, you know, thousands and thousands of reps against those guys goes a lot further in your development than 12 games in the Pac-12. So uh, one-year starter, all-SEC team. But when I say top-end athleticism, I mean like top, top-end athleticism for this position. So he obviously he's a really good puller. Um, you know, get him kind of out in space. He he actually loves that. He loves pulling and then just go and just smother a linebacker or a safety coming up. Just those pulls just they, disappear. I love, I love it when they do those pulls and they're pulling into that that uh, they they leave the end unblocked and mm-hmm. he's the trap man. I love yeah. seeing him do that. Yeah, and that's kind of a lot of times. Well, not a lot of times, but frequently enough georgia would have maybe like trips left or something or two guys split out left and they'd bring the outside guy in motion right and then throw him the ball as he's coming in and then jones at the left tackle lets the guy by and gets outside and now he's kind of the lead blocker for you know lad mcconkey or brock bowers or whoever and he's just obliterating safeties like those dudes have no chance no uh, because he's quick enough he's quick enough to get in a good position and hit them squarely and I mean, he just knocks the crap out of him. So he he is still developing, um, but his high high ceiling, and you know, and he's mean. I guess is the the easiest way to say it. Like I I want my offensive lineman, me personally, to have a little bit of saltiness to him, right? I want him to be the guy that that doesn't hold the door open for you as you're leaving the hardware store right behind him. Um, and he's, you know, Georgia is chock full of those guys. Uh, he's one of them. I mean, they don't want to go. They don't want to go just win the football game, right? They don't want to just have more points than you when the clock hits zeros. Like they want to go. They want to eat your soul. Like right. they want to just crush you and make you question every life decision you ever made to lead you to that point, right? And he he plays with that kind of competitive mentality, and, and it really shows. So I think he has a chance to be really, really good. But his floor is also much lower than uh, probably three or four of these other guys. Yeah, if it, and if I think it a lot of that well. is because a lot of people don't – they only got 12 games to, to watch, right? And you're talking about it yourself. But, you know, being, uh, being an offensive tackle at Georgia means you're playing with the best offensive linemen in right. college football. So well, that's, that's part of it. It's not a knock. Like, yeah, no one's going to go to Georgia as an 18-year-old freshman and be physically ready to go in there and win a starting job on the offensive line. No, like it's it's just not going to happen. Like a year from now, you're going to do this show, uh, you and Zach, and you're going to be talking about a kid named Demarius Mims. And he's going to be a first-round pick next year, right? He has hardly sniffed the field in two, in two seasons at Georgia. Um, you know, it's just it's it's just wave after wave after wave of these guys, and there's an element of you know kind of wait your turn. But they also physically they have to to kind of get up to speed to play on that offensive line. And, right. You know, for him it took him until year three. Uh, you know, Kirby Smart doesn't really concern himself with guys getting on the field as freshmen. Um, you know, he's concerned about well, how good are they going to be in year three, right? Which is why he's he's stacking all these. It's a program, top five recruiting right? You got to get the program the programs to get them ready for you know the next man up, next man mentality. Yeah. Nobody so, does that better than Kirby Smart. Yeah, he so he has a a I don't want to say rare blend of of attitude and athleticism because it's not all that rare at places like Georgia or Alabama or Ohio State, but 
Um, it's going to serve him well, and I think he has a chance to be really, really good. I'm going to talk a little bit about Tyler Steen, who played for the Alabama Crimson Tide last year. Uh, senior uh, transferred from Vanderbilt, uh, where he played from 2018-2021. With over 30 games at Vanderbilt, Steen came to Alabama as an experienced starter with an expectation of winning that starting left tackle position, and he did. Throughout the season, he improved his game. He finished as a reliable pass-protecting blindside blocker. Although he showcases some high-level play as a pass-protecting run blocker, he's got a lot of technical inconsistencies that need improvement. I think a lot of it just has to do with the coaching that was at Vanderbilt. I mean, he's not at a top SEC school. He's at a, a, a school that typically does not churn out the type of NFL talent that other SEC schools do. He's athletic. Uh, he's probably biggest upside to me. Uh, in pass protection, he can mix up tempos during with his pass set. Uh, he can get depth pretty quickly on speed rushers. Uh, he's got quick hands to punch and counter punch to defeat defenders. And he shows good foot quickness and reactionary athleticism to stay engaged. Uh, in the run game, he's effective as a cutoff blocker. And he can be used as athleticism to get up to the second level. Um, he's got a lot of inconsistencies on tape. He sometimes opens up his gate a little too soon, uh, which leaves him vulnerable for counter inside moves. Uh, in the run game, he can be an over lunger. Uh, he can lunge at defenders, putting him in an unbalanced position, leading to him being on the ground. And the worst thing you can be as a blocker is on the ground because you're essentially out of the play. And he does leave his feet from time to time. He's got potential to be an NFL starter. I think he just lacks some of the technique and, and really some of the coaching that he should have gotten earlier in his career. Uh, he can be beaten by pass rushers with high-level athletic traits. Uh, despite those weaknesses, um, improvements from one year at Alabama gives a lot of optimism for his future development. He projects as a solid mid-round pick, um, provide depth to the offensive line, which is kind of why I like him in the third to fourth round. I see a lot of mock drives him going in the third to fourth round, which is probably where the Chargers might be looking for uh, building depth this year. Um not the type of flexibility you want because he only played left tackle. He never played anywhere else on the offensive line. Not to say he can't do it. He's just never done it. And if you just take a look at his first three years in college um, and the amount of development that he kind of needed to move to, um, to tackle and, and getting under like a really, really good coaching staff um, probably don't want to move him around too much. He only played on the left side. Didn't even play on the right side. Um, Alabama offensive line prospects always seem like a lock to be drafted early. So Steen to make that move and to move to a, a powerhouse like Alabama really talks about a lot of the competitiveness he he had to take to like, it, it was a shot, right? Like he, he was coming in there, not promised a spot. So for him to go from Vanderbilt to Alabama, take on that challenge, that shows competitive toughness to me and that he's up for it. Um, so we'll see enough where he ends up landing. Um, more of a project today with a lot of upside, but in the end, we'll, we'll see what ends up happening with Tyler Steen. Yeah. I think you, you use the word project a couple of times. And I think that's appropriate. He, he kind of strikes me as a guy who could maybe have used another year at Alabama um, you know, as far as coaching and development wise. But like you said, going from Vanderbilt to Alabama was a little bit of a leap of faith and he played all right. And I think there's some pieces there that you can build on. There's, there's certainly potential, but not so much that he probably gets picked before the third round, like you're talking about. But I, I, as a depth piece initially, he he'd be a pretty good uh, a pretty good get. 
All right, I'm going to let you go ahead and talk about offensive line. Let's go ahead and just start with that first-round draft pick that he's going to be, so Torrance. Yeah, Osiris Torrance from Florida. He's my favorite interior lineman um, in this class. I, I've watched – I watch a lot of Sunbelt football um, because a lot of times they're on on Thursday nights, and I don't watch a lot of NFL, and the Thursday night games in the NFL are usually trash from what I hear anyway. So Sunbelt games on Thursday night uh, – I watch a lot of I've seen him a bunch. He was he started for three years at uh Louisiana Lafayette when Billy Napier was there, and then he followed Billy Napier to Florida. He started all 12 games this season and he was an all-American. Uh he's got really good like short area quickness and he's strong. He's like strong, strong. He is sort of a road grader. He's a really, really good run blocker. He just moves people off the ball. And he just doesn't get beat in the run game. And he's got, you know, 6'5", 330. He's got a nice wide kind of base and wide build. Uh, so in terms of pass blocking, he gets he gets, sets a pretty good foundation. And he's, again, he's mean too, right? Just just how I like my O-lineman. He's, he's nasty. So he, he's kind of a mauler. There's not a, a ton of finesse or technique to his game he's just going to line up in front of you and kick your ass down the field and then that's really all he's trying to do so zero sacks allowed in his college career which spanned about 1500 snaps so Ooh. he's a guy um a lot like uh jones from ohio state where he, he's he's got a ceiling on his draft position because of his position right no one's going to take a guard at ninth overall right i get it but He's a guy who is probably your left guard for the next decade if you want to keep extending him. Like he's he's going to play in the league for a long time. Yeah, I like him a lot. Um, he's not my top interior prospect. Um, I actually have two players ahead of him. I'll talk about the first one. And a lot of people have this guy pegged as a, a starting tackle. Uh, Peter Skoronsky from Northwestern. Uh, I have him as a top 15 pick. And a lot of people are projecting him to play more interior because he doesn't have the length that you typically want from an offensive tackle. But he's got NFL bloodlines. Peter Skoronsky uh, is the grandson of Bob Skoronsky, who is a Packers Hall of Fame in trainee. And he has been successful in high school and in college, earning all state honors, at, as uh, all Big Ten honors, respectively. He was supposed to learn behind Rayshon Slater as a freshman, but... COVID happened. Slater ended up opting out. He became a true st uh, freshman starter. Uh, like Slater, Scronsi set to be the next net Northwestern offensive lineman he drafted as highly as the top 10 picks. Uh, he's explosive off the snap. He has really good uh, agility and, and quick footwork. It allows him to move laterally and get into pass sets with ease. His footwork also helps him mirror pass rushers really, really well. In addition, he's competitive. He's intelligent. He shows that football IQ with the ability to diagnose stunts, twists, delayed blitzes, uh, the handwork, the footwork, they marry each other pretty well. Uh, as a run blocker, he takes really, really good angles toward his assignments, and he opens up rushing lanes off the line of scrimmage quickly. Uh, he plays really good pad level, uh, situational body control, stro strong lower body, as shown as by his ability to drive defenders out of the play. Plays with a relentless motor, competitive toughness. He's gritty. You love all those different aspects to be in a single offensive lineman. I think the biggest thing concern-wise is going to be uh, his size. He's got 32-inch arms. A lot of NFL teams, they want to see 35, 36-inch arms. So he's 
got short arms for his size. Uh, he's one of the least lengthy profs, uh, prospects you're going to find with first round talent. Uh, he's gotten used to overcompensating for that lack of length, which is why so many people are projecting him to go inside um, at the next level. He could be a really quality tackle, but I think that he's like an all pro type of guard, like a, like one of the, what was the name of that Dallas Cowboys um, hall of fame, big body, big mass guy. Um, I can't think of his name, but he's, he's going to be a really, really good player wherever he plays. Uh, I just think his future is going to be on the inside of like a hmm. Quentin Nelson, maybe, but uh, I'm trying to think of the hall of fame guard from Dallas. Larry, Larry Allen is who you're talking about. Larry Allen. Yeah. yeah like that big stocky gritty, yeah, I like him a lot. Yeah, but he's not as big though, right? Because I I think in my notes he I doesn't got the three hundred thirty pounds behind him, right? But he yeah. he can't be at that size uh, playing tackle, not not without the height to match that. Right, but can he play guard at that size? Uh, well, I don't know. That's the thing is, if uh, a lot of teams, it really just depends on where he goes. Because schematically, you know, if he's in a, a predominantly zone run offense they want him to be a little bit lighter if he's going to be more of a gap type of guy then they're right. going to want to be a little bit heavier so it really just depends on where he goes and then getting him on a meal plan that fits that yeah so and then i guess where he goes also ties into where they think he fits position wise which would probably i would think dictate where he gets drafted right I don't right. know if I'm explaining that well, but yeah, yeah, so if, really if you view him as a guard, you're not going to take him as high as if you view him as a left tackle, right? And I think somebody's going to see him as a tackle and take him as a tackle, but I, I don't know. I, I think length matters to NFL teams. Very few guys with 32-inch arms playing tackle go on to have great careers. I'm The one that I can think of may be like Brian Bulaga, who, you know, Iowa, a uh, right. guy who played really, really strong for the Packers for a long time doesn't have the length to him, but that's more abnormal than normal. Hmm. Well, another guy who doesn't have a ton of length is uh, Steve Avila from TCU, who is my second favorite guard in this class. Um, he's mine too. Yeah. He, so he's a little more prototypical guard build. He's like six, three, six, three and a half ish, but he's up right around three thirty. Uh, so he's kind of, I guess boxy maybe is the term I would use. That's how he, I like my guards. He's, he's kind of like square, sort of squat. But uh, what I like about him is he he's not pigeonholed into one position, right? So he's he started at he four center, different, right? He played a lot of center actually. He he started at four different positions uh, at TCU. So twenty nine starts across those. He he started at center all year in twenty twenty one. And then he he shifted over to left guard this year, where he's an All American also. So you, you like the versatility, where hey, you know, if I don't have a backup center, now I have a backup center in addition to my starting, you know, left guard. And, and flexibility is so important. Fitting those pieces together becomes a lot easier when you have a guy who can competently play center. But he's super powerful run blocker. He gets he gets really good leverage. Um, I think I, I'm assuming because of his relative short height he kind of can get under guys and, and get a sort of a low man wins type of deal uh and get a lot of leverage yeah get get that but he's a he's a mauler too he's a really powerful run blocker he sometimes lunges i guess maybe is how i would describe it in pass protection where he doesn't maybe get his feet set as, as good as you'd like and 
sort of makes a stab at a guy instead of getting in front of him and controlling him with your hands. So you did see that a couple, again, not to belabor the point, but you saw it a couple of times in the Georgia game. Um, most people turned it off, you know, fa- fairly early on, but he, he was okay there, but he, he wasn't great. He didn't really shine, but, you know, across the other two seasons worth of play, he was really, really good. Yeah, I like him a lot. He's my favorite pure guard in this class. I like him more than Torrance, uh, just because I I don't know what it is about that size, about that build that I like it. Just seeing that build, and he was a major factor in why Kendra Miller had as great as a year as he did at TCU. Uh, he opened up huge rushing lanes. He's super powerful. You were talking about him being boxy, um, and that's what I like my guards to look like. Maybe not the most athletic guy. Uh, but he gets off the snap pretty quickly, and he can he can surprise you with power. He's got great hips too. Uh, I'm gonna talk. Let's go. I'm trying to think where I want to go here. Let's go. Let's go. Cody Mock, North Dakota State. Uh, he's a redshirt senior from from a team that uh, a Division two school that just has been churning out NFL talent for a while now. Uh, NDSU just. You think about Billy Turner, Joe Haig, Dylan Redunes, Cordell Volston. They have a really, really good coaching staff, and they're it's top tier, especially when you take into account that it is a Division II school. And then they've also had a lot of other success with a lot of other players, Trey Lance, Carson Watt, uh, Wentz, Christian Watson, Pierre Strong, Jabril Cox, Chris Ford. I mean, this team, you don't see Division II schools churn out NFL talent the way that they do. And I know you don't want to like scout the helmet, but you you look at the coaching staff and that has to play into your assumptions of what a guy is knowledge wise. Right. And he's got top tier coaching. He ended up winning the Phil Smith FCS offensive lineman of the year award in 2022. And he's the next best player to carry that NDSU torch into the NFL draft. Uh, he possesses elite functional athleticism. He's an energetic short area blocker. He's is extremely quick out of his sets. He's fleet footed. He matches rushers. Uh, he's an explosive athlete, gains ground upfield quickly off the line. Brings exceptional range as a mover. Uh, he has that high end explosiveness to overtake defensive linemen lined up outside of him. And he still finds a way to seal them off from the play. Uh, he reaches to the second level really quickly and really, really well. Uh, despite his lacking proportional length, uh, he's a, got really good raw power. Uh, he's able to shock defenders on contact with full two-hand extensions, and he channels his acquired leverage and momentum into blocks, uh, ultimately maximizing the overall power output that he has. Uh, He's got good solid knee bend, provides a really solid center of gravity and pass protection. He's superb at staying square with opponents, maintaining a strong base and keeping an equilibrium. I have him listed as a guard because he doesn't have the length, but as a tackle, like he showed that he can handle that really, really well. Uh, his athleticism translates really well in both phases of the game, whether it's pass or, or run. He actually came to NDSU as a tight end. So that just shows the athleticism that he has coming from a high school tight end, putting on the weight, getting big to go and play a, a big man's position. Uh, he's likely going to kick in, like I said, and, and be an interior player. Uh, he has core strength to anchor. He stalls rushes after first countering with independent hands. He's also got really good grip strength required in run plays to stay attached and maintain his run responsibility. It's a really heavy tackle class, so some guys that are listed as sack are going to move inside, and I think Mock's going to be one of those guys. 
uh, and still easily be a, a day two pick. I have him somewhere going somewhere in the second round. Uh, I like him a lot. I also love the players from North Dakota State just because I, I think that their coaching really uh, propels players and prepares them for the NFL like no other Division two school does. Yeah, I mean, I've actually watched um... – God, uh, I've probably watched three North Dakota State games this year, I guess, um, to, to include the FCS championship. But he's a he's a fun guy to watch because he's another, you know, he's another mean guy. Um, but he's pretty athletic for his size. He'd be a very athletic guard. So, all right, I'll let you go ahead and pick the next guy. Uh, last guy, right? Yeah, last guy. Um, and my favorite guy, guy, one of my favorites. Well, this guy's interesting to me. I, I don't know if I've decided if he's like my favorite necessarily, but I think I'm curious to see where he where he gets picked in the draft position wise because he is coming off an injury. He's not going to play this year. No. And, you know, we talked about uh, Peter Skaronsky in size and moving into guard. This guy is a little slimmer. Actually, he's two inches taller and about the same weight. And that's Andrew Voorhees from Southern Cal. He's 6'6", 310 which is not the same type of build you normally see at guard, but he's got 48 career starts at guard between right, both sides. He's played right guard and, and played left. I think he's played a little more left guard. but yeah, you know, he's, he's got a little bit of a, that that super senior that, you know, yep. uh, he's what, fifth year or sixth I think he's, year? I think he was a fifth year guy, um, took the COVID season, so he actually played uh, – yeah. Played four or five, but he even started some games at you know, about a half season at left tackle. So there, he does offer a, a little versatility in terms of right, left, uh, inside. And then four games in his college career. Yeah, twenty-five starts could. at right guard, eighteen at left guard, five at left tackle. Okay, so he played more. Right, I had that backwards. Yeah, he he's played a ton. He's got a lot of experience. He's played in a couple of different, similar but different offenses at Southern Cal. Right when they. Uh, let go of Clay Helton and brought in Lincoln Riley, but he's he's a pretty athletic guy. I don't know size wise how how good of a fit he is at guard, but he's done it well in college. So he's an um, All American, right? And so he, you know, all the stuff you want, uh, athleticism wise, all these all the stuff you want out of a guard, right? Can he pull? Can he seal guys? Uh, can he get to the second level? All that stuff. He, he's he does well, but like I said, he's not going to play because at the combine he tore an ACL, which sounds bad. But then kind of crucial. That's that is going to affect his stock so much. Yeah, I've already but, seen him dropping into like fifth, sixth round consideration. Yeah, and I think it's just losing, right, losing that year because you can only you can only sign him for so many coming out of college. Right, it's, it's four or three for non first rounders. Uh, so non first rounders, it's four total years. Okay. You only get that fifth year option for first round draft picks. Yeah. So, uh, tours ACL to combine. That's obviously a setback, but then he comes back the next day, right? On crutches <laughs> and a knee brace, and he bangs out 38 reps on the bench, which is the most insane. Out of, <laughs> most out of anybody at the combine. So, you know, I'd have to think a lot of teams are looking at that being, okay, well, this is how I want my players to handle adversity and fight through things. And not bitch and moan and make excuses. Poor me, and just right and go produce. So, I think someone might get kind of a steal in the fourth or fifth round with this guy because once he's able to play, I think he's going to be able to play well. 
Yeah, he's going to play really, really well. He's a competitor. He's got more experience than any other player in college football playing the position he does. Uh, and play for Lincoln Riley, who I have a lot of respect for, even though he kind of ditched the whole Oklahoma program to come to USC, rebuild the program into greatness. Uh, and I, I really just love the competitiveness to like, you know, he could have just he could have just tore his ACL and just be like, I'm done. <laughs> right. Like yeah. I'm done. And there is a chance he could come back um, toward the end of the season. But at that, like, he's not going to have a, a full NFL off season of training. It's not like, you know, somebody's going to draft him knowing that he's going to be a starter day one. Right. Like if he does make it back in December, let's say, right. It's usually what a, a six to nine month uh, healing process. March is when he tears his uh, ACL. Uh, so he could potentially come back toward the end there. You, but you don't typically see that from offensive line. You see it more from skill position guys because they're putting a lot of stress on their legs in, in the run game, right, and pass protection. So it's unlikely that he comes back. But, you know, if team sees him and returns him from IR, you know, for a playoff run and they don't – that they have their starting guard out for the season himself, might be worth a flyer, but – I mean, how well is he going to know the playbook? How well is he going to have that camaraderie with the guys around him, whoever drafts him? I would still take him like in the third round because I think uh, you're getting a really solid player who's going to be an anchor for you for the next decade. You know, if you end up resigning him, I, I I really love the player. One of my favorite players. Plus, I'm I'm a huge USC fan. Um, I love USC. Always have since Reggie Bush. Or like Reggie Bush is my favorite player of all time. Like. His highlight film really made me a, a huge USC fan. Um, but, I mean, you, you're drafting him knowing that you're not getting him back. And you've seen it happen to some other players. There was the uh, uh, the Ravens drafted Aiden Hutchinson's running mate at Michigan last year in the yep. second round after he yeah. tore his ACL. Yeah, David Ajabo. He, he, I think he ruptured an Achilles at like a pro day or the combine or something, and he's – uh, same type of deal like yeah you take him in the third or the fourth or whenever and then just well, they got him in the year. second they took a jabo in the second round oh is that when he went yeah i, yeah, I don't think so, this guy will still go in the second um because you know a guy who can turn into an nfl edge rusher is going to be more valuable than a guy who's going to play guard but yeah exactly guards uh, is a lot easier to interchange you can take a center and move him out the guard and mm -hmm. you can clean up a lot of things because he's got help around him but being like a, a tackle or an edge you're you're an, on an island right you're being asked to do a lot more uh my final player i'm gonna talk let's talk about the minnesota center john michael schmitz uh second round guy um he's really impressive career at university of minnesota culminating in a selection as uh, the team starting center in 2021, he responded by only allowing five pressure, pressures on 317 pass blocking snaps. Now, pressures at the center position, you got a lot of help. You got left and right side around you. But even so, five pressures on 317 pass blocking snaps, that's huge. Uh, he was an AP All-American, the best center in football last year. Uh, he showcased really high IQ. He's athletic. He's strong. He's got really good natural leverage. Um Probably could have entered the draft last year and still been a, a, a relatively high draft pick. Uh, this year, he led all centers with a 92.3 PFF grade. Uh, really just solidified his status as a top prospect. Uh, his most significant strengths is his consistency in footwork and technique. 
Uh, he's got a really stable presence on the field, especially in the run game. Uh, he's active, got active footwork, uh, helps establish a really wide, strong base, uh, and he can absorb a lot of power. So a lot of these uh, 350-pound nose tackles, he can handle them one-on-one, -on -one, which is not something you typically see. He's got really good hip alignment. Um, he's really impressive to watch, and he can – he can take over a, a, an offense in the middle. I always like to think of my centers as being the guys that have the most leadership on the offensive line, because typically they're the ones directing, you know, shift left, shift right. Uh, they're the quarterback of the offensive line, right? Uh, his length is kind of a concern. I don't really care about length at the center position. I know I, I've read it in scouting reports. As a center, you don't need length. That's just not what you need. Typically centers are, are a little bit shorter, a little bit stockier, a little bit lighter, because they're also usually, uh, if you can pull as a center, if you can snap and pull, that's a really good trait to have. Um, athleticism, not the most athletic guy, but athletic enough, right? Uh, doesn't have the change of direction, doesn't really need it from that position. Uh, he's got a little bit of concerns there, but I think while he may never be like a pro bowl, all pro caliber player, he's going to be a really solid player for you on the interior of that line. Uh, and he's got that leadership that I'm talking about that really, it says a lot coming from that position. Um, I like him better than uh, Joe Tipman, who's the other highest graded center that you're you're seeing out there with Wisconsin. Totally different players. Tipman, 6'6", super athletic, though. Uh, you're talking about um, uh, John Michael Schmitz, more of a stronger, uh, more compact uh power guy. So those are kind of just depends on what you want for your offensive line. A lot of those two guys are considered interchangeable. Just as, do you want the power guy or do you want the, the mover? So those are, the, that's kind of my thing. I'm going to talk on uh, uh, the Wisconsin center. Uh, but yeah, I, I like Smith's a lot. Yeah. So I'm a Vikings fan and uh, their center, Garrett Bradbury, is very similar to John Michael Schmitz uh, in terms of the length. Right? That was the knock on him coming out of NC State was, yeah, you know, he's a Remington Trophy Award winner. He's All-American. Uh, but some people worried about short arms. And, you know, if you watched Garrett Bradbury play, he hasn't been he's he struggled a lot. Um you know, guys get in on him because he can't kind of hold them off, right, with the arm blank. So that would be the one thing I worry about with him. But he's he's really strong. Like, once he gets on you, he's on you. Um, even even the bigger guys playing play the nose. Yeah. Any uh, any closing remarks? Anything? Tell me a little bit about your podcast and, and what you guys ha have plans for it. Well, as far as plans, so this is actually kind of a departure for me because, uh, you know, being a guest on someone else's because we've had, oh, gosh, our last six or seven shows have, have been guests. We've been getting a lot of uh, beat reporters from different teams on to kind of give us an update on, you know, how spring balls going or coaching changes or whatever. So we've, uh, we've had beat writers from Florida, Alabama. Uh, let me see, Utah. Um, LSU, uh, I think is our next one coming out uh, sometime this week. And then we just finished up our last one that came out was uh, with Brian Driscoll from Irish breakdown going over, everything at Notre Dame. So we've got two or three more guests lined up. Um, I'm hoping for three. The more we can get, the better, because it, it's been a lot of fun and really informational. But, yeah, you can find us on any uh, – What's the name you know, of your all, podcast? 
Uh, it's the South End Zone podcast and all you know the regular uh, platforms, if you will. You can find us on Twitter at South End Zone Pod. Uh, I think Instagram and maybe even TikTok. I don't know. I don't handle the the tech side. I just talk about football and I let I let Jason deal with all that other nonsense. Well, I highly recommend uh, <laughs> with these new NIL contracts and everything like that that are coming out. Bring some players on. I mean, you can find a couple, uh, you know players that you've seen play and you kind of like what they're doing, try to bring some of them on. They'll help bring. Yeah. Uh, we, so we've reached out to a couple and I actually missed the bus. Um, so there's, there's a kid uh, here where I live. He's been buddies with our twin boys since they were in, Oh gosh, second grade. And he's, uh, he's going into his red shirt freshman season at Georgia tech. He's a running back named Jamie Felix. And I, I'm, trying to corner him and sit down and go over, you know, some of that stuff is specifically like the recruiting process is something um, that we kind of take, like to take a look at. We had a college assistant on, we had a, a longtime high school coach here in Georgia on talking about that sort of stuff. And uh, a little bit of kind of, you know, what behind the curtain, like what happens when college coaches are talking to these kids, what's the selling points? What do kids care about? Uh, what are colleges looking for? There's a right, lot of kids who don't have any idea how none. the whole process works. So, you none. know, put that out on your podcast and let give, give them all that knowledge that they need to be successful if they want to get recruited, right? You know, yeah. they no, want that to was, get their I mean, names that was out one there. Of more, that was one of our uh, more enjoyable episodes to do was with Coach Hidalgo, who uh, coaches at Glenn Academy in Brunswick, Georgia. And he's been a head coach in Georgia for 15-ish years, right? So he's he's into the triple digits as far as kids he's sent off to, to play college at some level or another. And, you know, there, there's coaches coming through his office all the time, looking for guys, talking about guys. I, Kirby smart was in his office probably two weeks before he's on the show with us. I mean, it, so there was a lot of really good insight. Um, even parents of high school players, I would say maybe take a listen to that one. Cause there's some good information. I think parents sometimes maybe are the worst offenders as far as getting an idea into their head. Right. Whether, whether it's true or not and, and thinking this is the way it is. Um, and I think another thing that a lot of kids don't know is a lot of kids are trying to get reported by the recruited by the best schools. And sometimes that's not always your best, especially with the rules now being able to, to transfer as easily as you want. Uh, go into like a division two school, building yeah. yourself up and, and then transferring after you you've already gained all this. Uh, experience over some of these freshmen coming in and then, you know, try to go into find the right school, right? It's not always the best to go to the power five type of conference, right? If you're going to, you know, Long Beach Poly, you know, Mm -hmm. college, right? And spending two years there or even going the JUCO route, like there's a lot of experience to be gained from doing something like that. Don't overreach. We we thought about trying to, we tried, we thought about trying to get a JUCO coach on there because with all of, between the COVID year and the the transfer portal and immediate eligibility rules kind of happening at the same time really has changed kind of the recruiting game a lot in the last you know five years it's not the same anymore right. as far as and I, uh, you know, I might have a juco coach for you won a couple uh juco national championships um i i'm a certified scout i went to mm. um uh sports something worldwide whatever. I got a, like a certification that like taught me stuff. And I had to like interview uh, a, a couple of guys and I ended up interviewing this coach who's won like four national championships at the junior college level. 
let me get in contact with them and I'll, I'll get, see if I can get you guys connected. Oh, that'd, no, that'd be awesome. The more guests yeah, we can get, sure. so just making up topics, the better. My stepson actually plays at a Juco. Um, he's, he's a kicker. He plays at yeah. uh, uh, <laughs> Highland Community College in Kansas. So I uh, hate to cut you off, bro, but I got to actually go. But hey, thank you okay. so much for coming yeah, no on. Problem. Hopefully we'll bring you back on sometime. If you guys want uh, somebody who's got a little bit of knowledge, right? Tap me and I'd love to come on your guys' pod. Uh, as a guest, just talk about my knowledge base, you know, some of my experience and stuff like that. Uh, but thank you so much for coming on. We will talk to you guys later.